0: This is Business Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Wei-Chun Wang. I'm an entrepreneur who's passionate about all things business. As a trained economist with consulting background, currently working to educate business professionals in a college setting, I constantly gather information, advise my clients, teach students, and train people with the best practices. In this podcast, I will provide intelligence in business management, economic and data analysis, digital marketing, and international business strategy. Let me help you navigate the complexity in this challenging and dynamic business world. This is Business Intelligence Podcast, and I am Dr. Wei-Chun Wong. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Business Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Wei-Chun Wan. I'm here with Joey Degangji, my co-host.
1: Hi, everyone. Hope you've all been doing well. We have a really interesting topic today. We're going to be focusing on the education sector. Today. Yeah, I
0: mean, you know, I think for the longest time, people see education as a, something that they must do, right? You go yeah. to elementary school, naturally, you progress into middle school and then high school, and then I think in the past, especially two decades, people have realized that you gotta you gotta attend college. Yeah, um, we are doing a lot to help for especially first generation college students, and we're also trying in the society to convince people that their um, college uh, ha- possessing that college degree does carry value to enhance your career trajectory. You know, we're always coming from mostly. Um, the professional side of things we're trying to convince people that you got to do college so that you would have a a better earning capacity you would have a better career trajectory you would have a better promotion opportunities right but is that true right um Mm -hmm. you know if you look at the american education um system in history you know uh, back in the days we had the high school movement right so we're trying to encourage people to attend high school and now that train has seen um, to be extended into college, right? So now we're encouraging everybody to do college. And to a certain mm-hmm. point, especially, you know, um, if you talk with uh, college students nowadays, most of them even believe that they got to have advanced degrees before they could have a fulfilling um, careers or they could um, have the choice to get the job that they really want to do. So Yeah, it just
1: says the like the, the distinguishing degree so much higher than, than where like, every, every, you see all, all the, the shifts each time.
0: But I'm, I'm, like, I'm kind of worried that, right? I mean, it, yeah. you, you take a look at what people are doing. I'm kind of worried about the inflation of credentials. Right. Right. So people focus more on the credentialing and less on um, the substance that, what your degree should represent. And that, that is really kind of the thing that worries me, you know, as an educator, as also an economist, you know, I tend to look at things slightly differently, right? Because in the seventies, I think in, in the field of economics uh, there, there was um, uh, some extensive um, uh, conversations around the topic of how, uh, you know, your uh, education degrees could help you signal uh, the employers, what kind of capabilities that you have as a professional. Are you trying to use your degree to signal your quality? Uh, in front of potential employers? Or are you trying to um, save the employer's cost to screen candidates or both? And at the time people argue, economists argue that degrees are just merely signaling devices. You are basically telling the employers that the fact that you're willing to spend all this time and resources to get the degree, that probably demonstrates that you are a capable worker. Right. Without, you uh, you know, have... So your education doesn't necessarily mean that you have the substance. It just means that you have the ability to really suck it up and get through the process and get the degree. And that shows capabilities. Yeah. Commit to something
1: for for four years, six years and,
0: and stick with it. Right. Yeah. So you see a lot of people, and I think, you know, coming back to what we're talking about here, that type of mentality and that type of result um, has also attributed to why people are chasing the credentialing, right? They just mm. want to get the degree. They just want to get that advanced degree without minding much the substance or the skills that they could get, the value add that they could get along the process. And I really think that's the bad mentality. And I, I, don't, I don't think that's um, you know, the efficiency that the entire society uh, is looking for.
1: Right, I think that's where some of that misconception comes from as well. That says, "Well, I got the degree. Where's the where's the job? You know, it's supposed to just be waiting for me on. You know, they hand me the diploma and the and the contract
0: on the same day." And there's and, another school of thought, right? And, and yeah. there's another school of thought because a lot of schools think that, "Oh, you know what? We're not job training centers, especially colleges." You you, right. you, you talk you you talk to these colleges, and they said, oh, you "No, know, no, no, no. We're we're trying to provide well-rounded education. It is not necessarily our job to give our students." Um, employment opportunities or have that career trajectories. The students need to, on their own, find out what they want to do. And we're merely providing them a venue to explore. So within the four mm-hmm. years, they could hopefully identify what they want to do to have a fulfilling life. And not necessarily it's the college's jobs to set up the employment opportunities or employment potential for the students. And I, th- I think uh, what I'm seeing right now as an educator uh, in, in, uh, in um, the higher education institution, I think that trend starts to, ch- to change a little bit because now you see a lot of prospective students and families that are looking for that career plan. They're, they're seeing they're trying to see whether the colleges could provide them with that experiential opportunities that set their students up for, um, for a good career. Yeah, I think the conversation is really
1: shifting to you know what, what is my return on investment? And and seeing the you know kind of dollars and cents behind all these different potential avenues.
0: Well, some opponents would say that oh that is so mercenary. We shouldn't <laughs> be looking at the mm-hmm. dollar and cents and the return on investment because education is education. This is not a business. And interestingly enough, I've heard enough conversations, and I wanted to see, you know, I, I go out and I wanted to see, you know, whether there is an earning differentials between people that have higher education attainment levels. Uh, versus people who don't. So um, again, I'm an economist, so I resort back to the numbers and data, right? So I regularly check um, statistics provided by, for example, the Bureau of Labor Statistics in um, the United States. Um, In the latest data, right? Third quarter, 2020, the um, average weekly earnings, the weekly earnings of full-time employed persons uh, with age of 25 and above, by education um, level, the median weekly earnings level. If you look at people who only have high school diploma, that number is um, $793 per week. So again, that's a meekly, median weekly earnings number. Um, right. So 793 versus people who have bachelor's degree, that number jumped uh, to 1355 right? And if you were to have an advanced degree, your median weekly earnings will be So that's a huge difference. And one would argue that, yeah, I mean, in order for you to make that money um, with a bachelor's degree, you do still have to uh, sacrifice four years of opportunity cost to stay in college. But if you look at the differences, um, your lifelong earning potential uh, in total um, is well justified if you try to sacrifice that four years of opportunity, cause, and time just to get that bachelor's degree. Yeah, you'll, you'll certainly
1: catch up quick. Now, what I think is really interesting about that too is that aggregates degrees across all different disciplines, everything. Like that's just just the sheer fact of having that college degree.
0: Um, you, know, you just see the, the increase in opportunity there. Right. So, Joey, I know that you've gone through this process, right? So, you graduated right. college and you're now pursuing a, an advanced degree. When you were looking for colleges, were you thinking about dollar and cents after you graduate uh, with the degree? What are you going to do? I mean, is that was that even a, um, you know, a, a factor that affected your decision?
1: Absolutely. I mean, it was um, it was kind of interesting because I was half of me was saying, I know I need to have a job. I you know I need to walk out of college and be able to have the, the skills, the credentials, all that together that add up to a really you know promising career and at the same time i was also thinking i want to be something that you know really passionate about so trying to find a balance of you know something that would help you know figure out what i like most and how i can earn a living doing it you know it has you have to do both pieces it can't just be one or the other
0: right um but but it's really hard, right, especially for educators, because if, yeah. if I talk to a lot of my faculty colleagues, some, some of them would even argue, no, I mean, education is for education. We're trying to provide that transformative experience and cultivate well-rounded individuals. Right. Um, because at the end of the day, we want the students to have the fulfilling life that they want. And, and that can only be done if they explore enough and not being so career minded when they're pursuing their degree. So that they're willing to take courses, perhaps outside of their discipline, um, and they would be able to. Then they would be able to find uh, what what truly interests them. But I think the society is shifting uh, or pivoting, um, right. you know, uh, to a point where people are now more career minded, and and I think that mentality is also being aided by aided by, you know. Um, how colleges now, especially in the United States have become so expensive and, and to a point right. that people have to pay attention to the return on investment. And they cannot just randomly pick a major that interests them without minding the type of career that they potentially would have. And I know that in the society, of course, uh, nowadays uh, student loans, for example, are being talked a lot. Yeah. Um, you, we don't want our um, you know younger generation to carry that much loan burden um, you know, right after they get, they get out of college. And, and that is, to me, problematic.
1: Yeah, especially if, you know, you, you are in a position where you have no chance of being able to pay that back. And that's why being able to, you know, focus on, you know, it, it's there's a duality. I mean, you have to know what you love to do and have the freedom to explore, but at the same time, understand how that's going to help you, you know, have a, a successful career, how it's going to impact your income going forward
0: um, so you don't find yourself in that situation. So let me ask you the question then, um, w- when you were applying for college, did it ever occur to you that perhaps, um, uh, if you, l- let's just say that you even try, right. So right. you try to apply to the the top tier schools, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of ranking, in terms of, you know, the prestige, uh, if you, uh, apply to an Ivy league school, um, you know, yes, you might have to take on, um, a lot of loans, but. Um, you would then have an opportunity to to build a network um, yeah. connecting t- to people that you may otherwise have no opportunity to connect with. Have you ever right. tried that route? Have you ever thought about it? About looking at some
1: of the, the top yeah. tier institutions? Uh, yeah, there was, there was one uh, college, uh, Wake Forest, that I was considering. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I sent an application out that way. Right. Um, but as I toured and as I checked out other places, you know, I'd, there was certainly a level of prestige that was very appealing, but then, you know, there were other factors that I just kind of found, you know, that weren't quite right for me. So trying to find that fit that I knew was going to you know, help me find that balance of what I like and what I can uh, be successful with. Mm-hmm. That's for me. So I went, I went smaller college for that reason.
0: Right. So part of me is struggling, right? Because as, mm-hmm. as an educator, I want to obviously uh, be able to provide an opportunity for my students to explore yeah. uh, life. Um, and I, I want them to have that come of the age experience when they come to college, but at the same time, I want to also be responsible, letting them know that if you, if they, uh, potentially follow a certain, um, track of curriculum, they would have an easier route that leads up to a job. So I'm, I'm struggling, right? Uh, so, I mean, take me as an example, um, I was an econ major, and I've done econ the whole way. Mm. And, and I've done econ simply because I had interest in it. You know, I didn't even think, you know, what type of job that I would potentially have after I graduated mm. with an econ degree. And I, I think I lucked out because I like econ enough, so I was willing to navigate and explore the career opportunities that come with the degree. But a lot of students, I mean, you can't... It, I think it's just purely brutal to ask an 18 year old to map out what they want to do for the rest of their life and and grant and also mind you like when they graduate with a college degree normally at the age of 21 22 they have arguably 43 44 years of working life ahead of them yeah and it's really tough for them to make that decision thinking all right so if I set up if I choose a major I probably have to be boxed in and I get specialized very quickly uh, without having a chance to to switch careers. So it's, it's a struggle, right? It's a struggle. And, and really most of the students are operating on that four year, uh, mindset. set, you know, when mm-hmm. they enter college, they are, they are 18 years old and they, they think, you know, I want to make sure that I take enough courses to fulfill the graduation requirements so that I could graduate in four years. And then what? Yeah. And most people don't even think far enough. Um, about their career, about what they um, potentially would uh, be able to do um, that, that'll give them the fulfilling life. And, and I'm struggling because I, I look at all these students and I, I really cannot blame them because like I said, um, the 18 years leading up to it um, or the 12 years of education that they had prior to entering college, they have literally never had to make a choice. Never. You graduate from middle school, you progress into high school, and then you go to college. You never had to make that choice thinking, all right, so what, I, what I'm going to do? And, and then what bothers me is that now we, are, we seem to extend that into grad school, right? A lot of people, a lot of students, simply because they don't know what to do in the job market, they decided to extend their student career to get that advanced degree, for signaling purposes, not necessarily uh, do they want to get the substance that come with the degree program.
1: Yeah, it's almost kind of like a, like a, like a delay tactic in right. that sense,
0: yeah. Right, so uh, I remember this one time I was in the, uh, um, I, I was visiting um, a colleague in a large um, uh, education institution uh, that was a state school. And uh, we decided to grab something to eat in the cafeteria for lunch. And I was, you know, I was lining up, and in front of me there were just a ton of students waiting for, waiting to get their food. Right. And uh, I remember that was what—that was the Friday leading up to football home game weekend. Right. right. So everybody was so excited. Everybody right. uh, is expected, uh, ex- expecting to have a good time for the uh, for the weekend. Uh, it's just so many people there. And I, I look at all these young people and I was like, wow, look at, you know, cause to, to me it's all dollar sign. Right. So they're okay. spending money in the campus community. Um, they are trying to have some fun in the weekend. Yep. They don't necessarily have a lot of productivity because most of them don't have jobs. They are full-time students. Mm-hmm. Right. And I couldn't, I just couldn't help but try to calculate how much cost it is to have all these young people, you know, um, basically locked up in a campus environment for four, four years. Yeah. Um, and then we offer all these amenities, including football games, including, you know, the, the dormitories, all the amenities on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, they at the end of the day, they will get a degree. They will enter the job market. But before they could even do that, they have to spend a sizable amount of their asset, either them uh, or their parents, right? Either them... Right. Uh, through student loans or they they will uh, rely on their family assets um, to uh, to really support that financially, that is really costly. I mean, do we have a yep. better way to do this? Yeah, I mean, that's, I,
1: you, you know, that's a question on a lot of people's minds, but I mean, like, like back to like what you said earlier, I mean, you get the the coming of age experience. Like there, there's just so many, right. I, I, I couldn't think of a, of a suitable way to replicate what you get out of that experience.
0: So in the past year, we've seen because of COVID, a lot of students were forced to come home sacrificing that residential experience. And, you know, the fact that they, um, uh, came home, they couldn't uh, and they wouldn't want to keep paying uh, room right. and board. Um, and so all the higher in- education institutions actually had to give up a sizable uh, revenue on room and board. Most people don't understand how the business or the operation model is being affected uh, for higher education institutions. So I could tell you that majority of the higher education institutions rely very heavily, to a lot of people's surprise, Um, on room and board revenue. Mm. And and so the fact that uh, COVID had forced uh, students to come home actually created an upheaval uh, in the financial model for lots of higher education institutions. And I'm not saying that the the disruption is only done to private institutions. Actually, uh, I would argue that the state institutions were hurt more significantly than private um, you, you talk about, you know, the state institutions that have athletic programs, for example, right. and because of the disruption of COVID, not only they lost a sizable amount of room and board revenue, they had to cancel athletic events. And, and you know, I mean, the rest is history. I mean, you, you take a look at the news and you see how uh, many higher education instru- institutions struggle to try to continue providing the athletic programs because um, that they need, they need the revenue to financially sustain themselves. And really the COVID had pretty much revolutionized uh, how people view higher education institutions. So there are a yeah. couple things that I think I wanna to bring to people's attention. That is, if you look at higher education institutions, I always wanna compare that to the cable TV industry. For the longest time, the cable TV industry had never had the incentive to change and pivot right, right. because there's no alternative right you want to watch tv cable is your choice yeah right pretty much the only choice right uh, ever since the 60s 70s and and today there are still uh, a sizable uh, population there's still a sizable population that relies heavily on the cable tv younger people like us we stream right we're right. streaming now we we subscribe to all these uh, platforms and without relying on cable TV. And it was because the introduction of the new technology that the cable TV is forcing themselves to pivot, right? Remember back in the days, about 20 years ago, the the video on demand, um, not only cable TV is able to charge a very high subscription fee monthly, but they are also able to get you on the weekends when you wanna watch really a dated TV, right? Um, A a dated movie, And they'll charge you $5.99 or $10.99 to just watch that one time. And now the rental market is completely replaced by, you know, the the Apple TV or Amazon. I mean, you could rent um, even TVs through YouTube premium services. So that's the the first takeaway, right? So now we're seeing similar disruptions that are happening um, in the higher education sector. And number two, I, I think the second important point is truly want people to pay attention to is that you start seeing the large corporations provide education programs or certificate programs and they mm-hmm. pretty much characterize that as a service so take it take a look at google for example right. now you have the opportunity to be certified by google and and they will provide you with programs like specifically for for example like digital marketing certificates yeah. Or, or things related to their services. And, and I think large technology companies like Google and Apple have openly said that maybe in the future, they they would diminish the value brought about by uh, the degrees or demonstrated by the degrees um, on, on the candidates' resumes. Um, and they want to rely on more like skill-based certificate programs. They want to see whether um, the candidates could really demonstrate Uh, the capabilities in delivering certain types of services. And that's really going to be a game changer because remember what I said in the seventies, you know, degrees, um, you know, people start seeing degrees as signaling devices. What if all of a sudden all these companies have found a way to really cut down the cost of screening candidates? What if they don't have to rely on that one liner in your resume which shows where you graduate from and they could yeah. design a very cost-effective exam. You know, in 30 minutes, you're going to be able to uh, demonstrate what capabilities that you really have or what skills that you really possess. Do we really still need higher education institutions?
1: Yeah, now that, um, I think that gets really interesting. So I want to ask you as a couple of questions about that as a business professional and as an educator. So, uh, you know, starting on the business professional side, I mean, as if someone came to you, looking for a job in the marketing department and they were Google analytics certified, Facebook blue chip certified. And they like, but they maybe had either uh, less college uh, experience or maybe even no college experience. They went from high school to going through these certification courses. How would you view them compared to someone with the the more traditional four year degree, but you don't know necessarily if they've even been exposed to some of these more technical marketing um, vehicles.
0: That's a, that's a fantastic question, right? So as an educator, I will tell you that um, the higher education institution provides more than just career training, right? right. And, and the higher education institutions shouldn't be viewed, shouldn't be in viewed as just job training centers. Right. So there is a lot of, again, coming to age experience that we're providing, the transformative experience that we're providing. Um, you know, a lot of students um, from my personal experience uh, when they graduate, they are a lot more mature than the moment oh, when they came to college. And I'm pretty sure that you share a very similar uh, sentiment uh, about Absolutely. yourself as as well as the peers and the friends that you made along the way. Yeah. Um, but all I'm arguing is that it, this is a rather ext- expensive model, right? Right. right? And Is there any way that we could do this in a more cost-effective way? So to answer your question, like as a business professional, if somebody that, um, that comes in as a candidate that has all these certificates that fit my needs, I would still worry about, you know, uh, the person not being mature enough mm-hmm. if the person doesn't possess a college degree. I'd be really interested in knowing why the person chose not to do college yet spending all this time getting the certificates, right? So right. Uh, the person may be job ready, but uh, the person may not be career ready or life mm-hmm. ready right? And I think that's a good way to look at it. So it seems like um, the arguments that I was trying to make um, are conflicting themselves. But, you know, I I argue it's the opposite, right? So I'm providing you with all these different angles, trying to look at this thing, I argue that we're at the cusp of paradigm shift, I argue Mm -hmm. that we are at the verge of really witnessing uh, some um, uh, great changes happening in particularly this segment. I think all the higher education institutions, most of them uh, are trying to pivot. And and I I know a lot of people are allergic to this, especially educators. They're allergic to talk about revenue. um, And they, they argue that, you know, higher education institutions, particularly they are nonprofit. Most of them are nonprofit and we shouldn't be focusing on making money. But I wanted to make a very distinctive argument in that revenue is different from profit. Right. You don't have to make a profit, but you still have to enhance your revenue position so that you could financially sustain uh, yourself to survive and, um, you know, and, and keep providing the services that, that fit your, your mission. And I think uh, at the end of the day, longevity and sustainability um, are the keys. Um, yeah. And so to, to answer your question, we might see more and more people like that, right? They are chasing certificates, they're chasing job specific skills, trying to build, um, you know, uh, higher ability on Mm -hmm. their own. But whether or not they're career ready, that's another question. I think in terms of societal advancement, we would still want the higher education institutions to to do their jobs in providing that transformative experiences. Um, And Don't don't forget, also, uh, what I didn't mention is that most of the U.S. institutions, you know, prior to COVID, we've had many international uh, customers, international students that want to come to the United States and study. Because the U.S. education has, for the longest time, carries a certain level of prestige that Mm -hmm. attracts international audience to come, right? You know, obviously, during COVID times, it's really hard uh, for people to travel to the United States. And if you look around, especially Asia, those growing economies, the mm-hmm. needs for higher education is unbelievable, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they have a slightly different problem. The reason why the US higher education institutions are having difficulties in um, you know, um, enhancing their revenue position is partly because of the demographic shift, right? So we have uh, fewer and fewer students that are matriculating but if you look mm-hmm. at the international market, just take a look at China, for example. Right. Every year, on average, they have 8 to 9 million people trying to take the joint entrance exam. and This is something centralized that they do. If you want to enroll in a college, you have to take that uh, joint uh, college entrance exam. Okay. Out of the 8 to 9 million people, only less than 50%, around 47% of them, are able wow. to get themselves into four-year degree-granting stu- institutions, so they have a different problem. They have a yes. supply issue. They don't have the capacity. And now, with the growing economy, people, you know, companies want to hire um, uh, people uh, with higher education attainment level. Mm. So, how do we do that, right? So they come to the. A lot of them come to the United States or Canada or Europe or, or um, Australia and New Zealand mm-hmm. trying to pursue higher education um, that actually gives um, uh, higher education institutions in the Western countries an opportunity to not only export um, a service, but also preach what we believe uh, right. in terms of mission, in terms of you know, the societal values and such. So this is a very complicated issue. Here, Right. So how do we want to sustain the higher education segment here in the the, in the United States? Um, Yes, I agree that we cannot only look at the dollar sign, but at Mm. the same time, without the dollar sign, you would have a very difficult time to convince the prospective students and parents that, you know, um, the service that you provide um, um, is worth it. And without dollar sign, you would also find very difficult to operate and sustain yourself financially um, as a higher education institution. So um, all these issues are happening in real time. The inflation of the credentialing is mm-hmm. happening at the in, in real time, right? At advanced degrees, people a lot of people, a lot more people want to do advanced degrees, and I guarantee you, this is, the history is going to repeat itself um, yeah. because you look at two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, after the financial crisis, the enrollment for graduate programs skyrocketed. Why? Mm-hmm. Because people couldn't find jobs, and they want to, you know, uh, go back to school and get that, get that uh, right. um, uh, credential, so that you know when the economy recovers, they could, you know, hit the job market and running again. Um, same thing is going to happen in the COVID times, right? So a lot of people mm-hmm. have lost jobs, and and I just read an article from uh, Wall Street Journal um, that they uh, the the article basically predicted that next year the um, the chances of getting into an MBA program. Would be a lot lower than previous years because a lot of people are trying to take a pause in their career, and right. enhance their their credentials. So I know that in a in a short amount of time, I I, I give you a overwhelming inform an overwhelming amount of information. But this is a very complicated issue, and yeah. I'm willing to dive deeper in um, some of these issues because I think you know all these issues. Um, if we if we look at them separately, society, parents. Students, uh, higher education institutions, and governments—we'll be able to find uh, a different angle to discuss these issues more um, more extensively. Yeah, I mean that's
1: oh, you said there. Just there are plenty of factors at play. That's kind of getting down to the more of like the the individual level. You know, I'm going to ask you this again as a business as as a business owner, but as educator, taking into you know into into the like, all of these different. Uh, factors going on the paradigm shifts the upcoming changes what are some of the bits of advice you have for someone that's either graduating high school going into college or someone that is considering going back for their more advanced degree like as educator and advisor where do you find the kind of balance between all these different things to be aware of and in the middle of all this chaos
0: right excellent question right so you know, I, if if you're graduating from high school uh, or if you have kids that are about to enter college, one thing that's I, I consider really lucky and fortunate is that we 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 do live in the United States. Mm-hmm. We do have a lot of higher education institutions that you could select from, um, and you have the opportunity to not only tour the campuses, or maybe not under the lockdown, but you know, a lot of campuses are offering uh, virtual uh, experiences for you to really understand what the mission of the school is and uh, what they could provide. Mm-hmm. You know, pay attention to the things that that are just beyond the papers, right? So for example, you need to make a de- decision on um, the potentially what kind of opportunities that you could have to explore and navigate. What about okay. study abroad opportunities? What about the experiential learning opportunities, including um, internship, uh, including, um, you know, working with uh, professors, um, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, very closely, uh, working with industry professionals that could provide you perhaps the opportunities to start your career, right? So all these things that are beyond the curricular design, um, as well as whether or not you'd be able to enter into an environment where everybody is supportive allowing you to navigate and explore without um, having to take a risk of failure right so you need to experiment and that's where the coming of age experience comes from right so you need to have um, that and also alumni network right Uh, Is it easy for you to build relationships with uh, people in a close-knit community, right? So there's a a distinctive difference between larger institutions and small institutions, right? So you need to decide what fits you uh, better, right? There's no Mm -hmm. really perfect institution that exists. There's only uh, uh, institution that fits you the best. So you really need to take a look at all all these things that perhaps not on the paper, um, Mm. um, but you need to have a feel for it. If you um, graduate have you already graduated from college and you're decide you're deciding whether or not to pursue that advanced degree you want to see really uh, whether or not um, the advanced degree is going to be able to enhance your career trajectory whether the organizations that you're currently working for um, you know would rely on that advanced degree credentials to determine whether you're eligible for promotion or salary races right, right. Um, and, and more importantly, you know, by getting yourself into the grad school, would you be able to really open up for more opportunities, maybe to switch careers, to switch jobs, or mm-hmm. network? Um, you know, take, take MBA as an example, right? right? MBA, the program was designed late 70s and early 80s, right? And mm-hmm. a lot of schools use MBA to to make money, right. Um you know, in the right way, obviously, you know, they provide Mm -hmm. a venue for people to get together and make connections. Um, One thing that you could, um, one stats that I could share with you is that you look at the, uh, for example, the um, Harvard Business School, right? If Mm -hmm. you graduate from uh, Harvard Business School, they publish this every year, right? They would Mm -hmm. tell you what is the average salary um, after you graduate with a Harvard MBA. Um, What is the average salary for all these MBAs um, graduating from Harvard? And, um, you know, it'll be well over six figure perhaps. Um, Right. And and a lot of programs, um, especially top programs, will use that to advertise their quality of the program. One thing that people don't realize is that in order for you to get into Harvard MBA, you potentially probably, uh, you potentially have probably made that kind of money um, when getting in, right? Yeah. So it's the improvement that you should you should pay attention. <laughs> That's the number, yeah. Right. Yeah. And and I had to be mercenary because perhaps you know it, the salary information shouldn't be the only thing that you look for because most of the connections that you build would be, you know, intangibles. Right. How do right. you how do you value? the connections. Um, Maybe you will meet a mentor of your life there. Maybe you would uh, be able to make friends of your life, um, you know, when you are in the program. And that's also applicable to the undergraduate degree, right? Right. So um, a lot of it is also luck. Um, But again, I I think there's a lot to be discussed here. Uh, And I'm willing to explore this topic um, a little bit more. And perhaps we'll We'll make it a, a, a periodic topic um, that uh, every time we come back, we'll we'll pick just a little uh, a spec or angle and then dig into it a little bit more. Yeah,
1: I think that would be fascinating as we as we keep going. One more question uh, before before we wrap up today, I want to flip it back on you now. So you just gave. You know, I hope everybody listening took all of that to heart. If you, you know, you're, you're considering the the degree. Now that I have a question, you know, say I'm a business owner, we're coming out of the pandemic and I'm looking at 50 resumes for a position that we're hiring for. And I, and because of, you know, credential inflation, because of all these different factors taking place, you know, I see 20 graduate degrees, 30, uh, you know, under, undergraduates, and maybe some people are coming in with, you know, heavily, heavily, like their, their resumes are heavily covered in all the certificates that they've earned in this downtime. I mean, how do you, where are, you where, where are like the top, maybe two or three things that you're looking for to kind of like weed through all of these different credentials that are getting thrown at, at, at hiring uh, dis, uh, decision makers now?
0: So that's a big question, right? So it depends upon yeah, really on the level of talents that I'm trying to bring in. For entry-level right. position, I'll be focusing on mentality.
1: And without
0: having the conversation with the candidate, it's, you really cannot tell, you know, right. whether or not the candidate possesses the right mentality, especially for entry level positions. Essentially, businesses m- most of bis- most businesses are looking for utility players. Here, I'm right. using the the baseball analogy. Anal- analogy. Um, so, uh, utility players mean that you could cover uh, different positions. You could cover different. Um, uh, um, types of responsibilities, right? and only with the right mentality, you'll be able to find people that are willing to do that. Um, you know, um, there there will be people that said, "Oh, you know what? Uh, the things that you're asking me you to do, that's not in my job description. I, I'm not willing mm-hmm. to do that." But for entry level position, you really want to have that level of flexibility, right? right. Um, and and good thing about the business owners, if you're hiring, this is the buyer's market, right? Because a lot of right. people are looking for jobs. Um, and and a lot of people are desperate, right? Uh, mm. Taking the time to really understand what the candidate wants and whether or not that that is in line with what you are looking for in in your business is very very important. A lot of people, especially larger corporations, they 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 they're willing to set up like. Uh, rigorous and complicated interview process. Oftentimes you have to get it, get through not only the first round but also second and third rounds, multiple rounds of interviews because they wanna bring in the best talent possible. And I think uh, my advice to small to mid-sized businesses, you should probably do the same, right? Um, Mind you, uh, according to um, the US labor laws, I mean, the US labor market is basically being governed by uh, the Fair Labor Standards Act. Most of the employment relationship is at will, right? Okay. So you could, you're, you're allowed to have that flexibility in taking a, a deeper dive into reviewing the candidates because if they don't fit, you know, um, it's not good for anybody. And, right. and the relationship um, is flexible enough that you could, you know, actually go out and, and find replacements, right? So that, that's one thing, taking the time to, to review. Now, if, it, if it's for a more of advanced position, mm-hmm. I would argue that you should really commit to um, you know, screening the street screening cost, right? You should really commit yeah. to spending the time, really understanding the backgrounds um, and really drilling and grilling the, the, the candidates. Um, about the credentials, about employment history, about all these experiences, what they can bring to the table, and and hopefully, you know, if you're satisfied with their their past experiences, hopefully they could replicate uh, those great accomplishments in your organization. Again, this is a buyer's market. I mean, if you're if you're a business owner that that is hiring, that's what you need to do. That's, so that's um, I, I hope that uh, our conversation um, has sparked some interest in you to really try to understand um, the, uh, the credentials and the higher education uh, market. Because um, like, like we said, uh, you know, in the middle of a conversation, I think we're really at the cusp of witnessing some uh, significant paradigm shift. I envision that uh, in the coming years, we will have more companies that are uh, providing certificates and credentials. Um, But as an educator, I will say that the the coming-of-the-age experience, uh, at at least at the college level, that is really hard to replace. Um, Unless we could find a more cost-effective way um, to deliver that, um, higher education institutions are there to exist. But the way that they operate and exist would probably be very different uh, than the way that we were used to right? So I'll leave you at that. And um, hopefully in the coming weeks, we would have more times to um, dig deeper into this industry and provide you with more fresh perspectives. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Um, Thank you very much. My name is Wei-Chun Wan, and I am uh, very glad to spend the time with my co-host, Mr. Joey DeGangji. Hi, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for, for more.